Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Continuing now in the eternal, everlasting, holy word of God. Those of you that will be listening to our sermon broadcast Take time to read the triumphal entry as found recorded in Matthew chapter 21, because this message today, which is titled Humility, is going to be uniting these two passages, the Palm Sunday or triumphal entry passage and this passage that we have just read, which deals with Christ's example of humility. The title of this message is Humility. Let's pray. Father in heaven, for the sake of your glory, for the sake of Jesus Christ truly being our King, our Lord, for the sake of his exaltation upon this earth, Father, and for our own benefit as your people, we pray that your Spirit will speak through your messenger with power, with clarity, with conviction, moving us, Lord, to God-glorifying obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Humility. As we address this passage today regarding humility, I want to first describe Christ's humility, his motivation and his purpose for humility. And then I want to turn to the church's humility, beacon light, our humility. The reason for that is because we have been called to imitate Christ's Humility. First of all, Jesus Christ. Christ, our Lord and Savior, is setting us an example. He's setting an example to the church. What we have here before us on this Palm Sunday service is a deep remembrance, and also in Scripture, of the humble service that flowed from the loving heart of Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the Easter season. We're reminded again and again of the cross and why Jesus went to the cross. I want us to be reminded once again of what the Bible says about humanity's condition. Here's what the Bible says, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And you, speaking universally, you are going to die in your sins. And when you do, you will perish utterly. Never to know peace, never to know comfort, never to have healing in your soul and in your body, never to know wholeness, happiness, or joy, never to experience fellowship with the one that created you, the one who loves you, God Almighty, and being separated from others, always groaning in your selfish sin for all eternity. But the Bible reminds us also that Jesus expressed himself this way. We can understand Jesus himself saying these words to everyone as he's riding into Jerusalem. But I love you. You are helpless. I will help you. I will do what you cannot do. I will do what is impossible for you to do. I will save you. I will bear your burdens. I will take your sins upon me. I will bear your curse. And I will bear God's just wrath for you. I will suffer for you. I will humble myself for you. I will wash your dirty feet. And then I will go and I will die for you. And I will be raised for you. Put your faith in me. Trust me. Rise up and become a Christian. A Christ one. And then go as a Christian. Follow my example, Jesus says. Humbly love one another and serve one another. Wash each other's dirty feet. Love one another. Die for one another. Because greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Christ is also setting an example for us now as Christians. We are kingdom people now. We, the church, for whom Jesus died, have now become kingdom people. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, a glorious kingdom. Let your life as Christians be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, worthy of the cross, worthy of our Lord, and worthy of your calling. Let your politics, your way of life as citizens, be worthy of the Lord. We are kingdom people now, and we live in a fallen world. And we are called as God's children, to proclaim in this world that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and Savior, but we do it with humility because Jesus set us the example. He came into this world with humility and meekness, power under control. He came to serve. He made himself vulnerable. Why do I say that he made himself vulnerable and why do I say that he took this low position Would you consider with me his life as the king? Where was he born, this king of the Jews, that even the highest 
level of people would search him out as the king of the Jews. He was born in the lowest place possible, in a feeding trough for animals, a manger. You want to follow me, Jesus says? Foxes and have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born among women. That's what Jesus said about his cousin, John the Baptist. He's the greatest ever born among women. But do you realize that John the Baptist, Jesus Christ's own cousin, this great John the Baptist, after he watched Jesus' life for a while, as he was wandering around as an itinerant preacher, healing and serving people in this humble way, even he finally had to say from the prison cell that he was in, that John was in, are you the one to come? Or should we expect another? And Jesus, on his last day, he says, you call me Lord to the disciples. You're right. You're right. That's who I am. I'm the Lord. But I, your Lord, have come among you as one who serves I am washing your feet. And now he rides into Jerusalem. That's what it says. See, your king comes to you, not on a great stallion, but lowly, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of everything, comes riding in to Jerusalem on that triumphal day, lowly, on a donkey, on a beast of burden. And then he goes to the cross. Nothing's going to stop him from going to the cross. And above him we'll read these words, King of the Jews. Jesus Christ is the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And he's establishing his kingdom But notice how Jesus does it. He's establishing his kingdom not by means of worldly power. Not by means of him becoming a powerful, egotistical, arrogant, political, military, religious leader. Jesus is not establishing his kingdom by starting a zealous political movement. Democratic republic, or otherwise. He has not come to powerfully initiate a nationalistic movement advancing the natural-born nation of Israel according to the flesh or the USA or any other country. He doesn't come in powerfully and move forward with a religious crusade Christian, Muslim, or otherwise. Utilizing torture, burning people at the stake, using power to fearfully bring forth obedience, which we call coercion. He doesn't ride into Jerusalem with the point of a sword flashing up into the sky saying, convert or die. He doesn't use any of those means. Rather, what Jesus says is those who live by the sword 
will die by the sword. He says, my kingdom, it is not of this world. If I wanted to, he said, just before he was going to die, I could pray, I could call upon my father, and immediately he would send more than 12 legion of angels. More than 72,000 angels would come and fight by his side. But he doesn't pray to the Father for that. That's not the path he takes. No, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. On Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, on a donkey. Because he's heading for the cross. Our King Jesus, our Lord Jesus, is establishing his kingdom with all of the subjects, including you. He's establishing his lordship through the cross. Through the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of grace Jesus Christ isn't pressing and forcing people into some kind of conversion. He is freely and humbly giving himself in sacrificial love, offering himself as this free gift. We call it grace. It's the gospel of grace. And he's asking us to respond on the basis of faith of hope for better things, including our individual lives and a better world, on the basis of love. Come to me because of love. And join with others who say, Jesus is Lord. But to accomplish a kingdom that Jesus would build that way renders him vulnerable. To accomplish the kingdom in this way, in this fashion, requires him to suffer and die. At the very beginning of your Bible, in Genesis chapter 3.15, it was ordained that it would be this way. Because what's been going on, and it's going on even today in this world, is a great conflict, and that conflict is between Satan and Jesus Christ. A conflict between Satan and And Jesus Christ and his very body, which is the church, which is you. That's why you're going to suffer more and more as time goes on. You are. You're going to suffer. Persecution. Get ready for it. It's been that way from the very beginning. At the very beginning, when Satan tempted the the people, Adam and Eve, to fall, God spoke to Satan. He said, you're going to grovel on your belly. Dust is going to be your food. And for the woman's offspring, the woman's offspring, Eve's offspring, namely the the person we call Jesus Christ, you, Satan, are going to strike his heel. And that's what he did on Good Friday. That's what he continues to do to the church, to strike the church. But here's what God said to Satan. But he, Jesus Christ, will crush your head. In the end, that's where it's all going. 
No matter what we go through as we humbly serve, make ourselves vulnerable, following Jesus Christ's example to see the kingdom advance and for Jesus Christ to be proclaimed Lord in this world, we're going to suffer, but in the end, there's victory. In 155 AD, there was a man named Polycarp. He was 86 years old. He was the bishop of Smyrna, a town, prominent town, beautiful town, Roman town that was on the Aegean Sea. When you were here earlier, when we did the Revelation series, Smyrna was one of those cities that stood strong against persecution, against temptation. Smyrna. Well, Polycarp, this man, was the bishop of Smyrna in 155 AD, 86 years old. He was alive at the time when John, the Apostle John, was writing. And Polycarp and John knew each other. And here we are in this book of Philippians right now, this letter to Philippians that Paul wrote. Polycarp himself wrote a letter to the Philippians. He knew this church. He knew the Philippians back in 155, long after Paul had died. And Polycarp was a faithful servant, a faithful pastor, a faithful shepherd, a faithful bishop, and he was brave. He's 86 years old, a prominent leader in the city of Smyrna, took Polycarp and brought him before a tribunal. This proconsul, this person representing Rome, was asking Polycarp to say out loud in public that Caesar is Lord. And Polycarp refused to do so. The proconsul said to Polycarp, Swear, and I will set you free. Reproach Christ. Polycarp's answer, according to the Anti-Nicene Fathers, you can look it up yourself, the Anti-Nicene Fathers, the, the martyrdom of Polycarp. Here's what Polycarp answered. Eighty and six years... Have I served him? And he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And the proconsul pressed him harder. Finally, this old man, this 86-year-old man, Polycarp, answered, Since you are vainly and urgently asking that I should swear by the fortunes of Caesar and pretend not to know who and what I am, Hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian. And they burned him at the stake. I am a Christian. You know Christian's a beautiful name. Don't be afraid, don't be ashamed to be known as a Christian. You don't even need to go like so many are doing today. Yeah, follow Christ for sure. But many people don't want to be called a Christian anymore. Christians, they don't want to be known as a Christian. They want to be known as a Christ follower. But I want to say right now, don't be ashamed of the name Christian. There's no more beautiful name you could ever have. You know what a Christian is? It's a Christ one. Don't be ashamed of that name. Just live like one. You'll never have to be ashamed. Nothing wrong with the name. It's the way we live. And now it's our turn. We're Christians. And we're on display. There's a big picture. 
what's going on in our church. There's a reason why God is calling us to live together, to stand firm. We're on display. Don't forget that the Apostle Paul is writing to a little church, the little church of Philippi. And he's writing to us this morning, little church of Beacon Light. Paul says, walk in a manner. We saw this two weeks ago. Walk in a manner that is consistent and worthy of the politics of the citizenship of being part of the kingdom of God. Worthy of the gospel, worthy of your calling, worthy of the Lord, and stand firm. As a Christian, walk in love, walk in holiness, blameless. We are supposed to be a pure people who are held together with one spirit, one mind, contending side by side for the gospel. Paul wants us to stand firm. He wants the church in Philippi to stand firm against the culture that's pressing in and wants us to renounce Jesus Christ as being the ultimate authority. And Paul wants us to do so, proclaim Jesus as Lord, and do so accompanied by the way we live. A loving community that's loyal to one another, that is holy. It doesn't cave to the value system of the world. To stand firm. But he gives us one more way to stand firm, other than being holy, one mind, one spirit, contending side by side, and here's what he's doing. Here is how you can also stand firm, and that is walk in humility. Humility. Service to others flowing from love, as it says in verse number 1 and 2. If you want to know what the motivation is, it's love. And we're on display. Verse number 3 says, Consider one another more important than yourself. More important, more significant, having above yourself, one another. It says here, consider others, but the exact translation is consider one another. We're not just talking about loving strangers and serving strangers. Right now, Paul's addressing the church. We're not even right now talking about all those others out there. We will in in just a moment, but this is about you and me. What are we doing in this church? As a pastor, I have to look around and say, is there anybody in this church right now that I don't consider being above myself, that I can't consider as having more importance than myself or more significant than myself? Is there anybody? You look around. Is there anybody seated in here that you don't consider being more significant? That's what it says here. That's not my spin. This is what Paul said. This is the Word of God. We have to remember, what did Jesus do? The the point of this whole passage is Paul's trying to tell us, do you see the distance Jesus came to wash feet? He's the Son of God, the Creator. He's perfect. And he becomes a human being, a servant. If he can do that for us, can't you do that for one another? Can't we do that for one another? Verse number four says, look after not only your own interests, but the interests of others. Look after the interests of others. Look after the interests of others. Verse number five says, Christ's mind, his mind, 
It's the mind you have. You've been given the mind of Christ. Do you know that? You don't have to try to attain to have the mind. You can grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But do you realize it's already been implanted in you? The mind of Jesus Christ is in you. Now live in accordance with his mindset. And how did he think? In an effort to see people reach the ultimate blessing, he was willing to take the lowest place so that they could be lifted up. Be loyal to each other. Can't we do the same and help each other? Did you see how this letter started, the letter to Philippians, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1? It's Paul and Timothy. It says servants. The exact translation could have been slaves. They're douloi. And that word for Paul and Timothy, that's how Paul wanted to be known. Paul and Timothy, old man Paul, young man Timothy, were slaves of Jesus Christ. It's the same word that was used here in our passage in verse number 7. But Paul, or, but Jesus, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a slave. And Paul says, I'm imitating Christ in many places in Scripture. In one place in, uh, in particular, the Apostle Paul says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. It said earlier in this letter that Paul would rather depart and go and be with the Lord. Do you realize at the time he's writing this, he's an old man. He's torn apart. His body has just been beaten and whipped and just battered. He is old. He is tired. He is a physical wreck by this time. Anybody that is older like myself or some of you that are in here that have been fighting off sickness, there are times when you would say, I just want to go home and be with the Lord. I just want to go home and be with the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. I would rather go home right now and just go be with the Lord. I would like to be done. But here's what Paul said. But it's more necessary for the progress of your faith, he says to the Philippians, that I remain I'll stay. I'll keep serving you. I'll keep doing what Jesus did for you. I'll put your interests ahead of mine. And young Timothy, he's, he's following Paul's example, and he's like a father. Paul is like a father to young Timothy, and Timothy looks after the interests of Jesus too. You can read it in verse number 19 here in our passage. Verse number 19 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him. I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all, think about yourselves. We were confessing this morning, right? For they all, for they all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Timothy's looking after the interests of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul loves this church. He serves them. He's writing to them. This might be his very last letter. He probably wrote one more letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy. And then Paul was going to die shortly after. It's kind of tender, It's kind of tender, isn't it, saints in the Lord, when you think about this old man, Paul, passing on the baton to young little Timothy. Ah, he wasn't little. He's a sturdy, sturdy man, but he was young. So, 
You know, my time as a pastor, as the lead pastor, is now drawing to a close. It's, but I'm looking for the next generation to step up. A Timothy who will look out for the interests of Christ and who will love this church and be concerned for the interests of this church beacon light more than his own interests. So this might even be my last communion service. I don't know, you know, that I officiate. My words to you, beacon light, is this. Love each other. Love each other. With humility, serve each other. Do good in this world. Live justly. Be holy. And in your holiness, proclaim the holy value system of the kingdom of God. And proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior. There are people in here right now who are visiting, who've been watching and coming in that don't yet know the Lord. I implore you on the, on the basis of Christ's blood, of his love, trust Jesus today. Proclaim Jesus as Savior. He's the only Savior. There is no other. And then proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And prepare to suffer and die for the gospel. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, saints in the Lord, because our sovereign God is in control. And in the end, every knee shall bow, in heaven above and on earth below and underneath the earth, and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and the church will reign with Jesus victoriously. And all God's people said, Amen.